I'm too sexy for my love, too sexy for my love, love's going to leave me. Ah, this song brings back memories. It was 1991, the year that gave us The Internet, Thelma and Louise, Beauty and the Beast, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and Right Said Fred. They were the first British band since the Beatles to hit number one in the US with their debut single, which has gone on to feature in countless adverts, TV shows and films. I'm so pleased he's joining me today from his home in Windsor, and I'm sure he's going to be way too sexy for this podcast. It's Richard Fairbrass. Richard, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for Zooming with me today. That's all right, um, yes. And I have to say that you look pretty much exactly the same as you did 30 years ago. What is your secret? Um, I've stopped smoking. <laughs> and uh, I think it's genetics actually I think it's mostly mum I think mum mum was 91 when she died and she had really good skin so I think it's that and also I think that wartime generation they were pretty robust you know yeah so I think I think that's partly what it is yeah but I, I'm pretty careful we don't we don't have a, I, I, when, we, when the band first started promo just got in the way of casual sex really <laughs> <laughs> So, so uh, but now I'm a bit older. It's mostly about promo. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> so, say there's like these uh, special face creams that have whale sperm in them that's supposed to like, no. raise lines and wrinkles and stuff. I think it's important to look after what you've got. But I'm, I fight shy of the knife, I have to say. I, I, I have thought about it, but I just think, you know, um, I mean, I, I use, I'll tell you what I do use. I, I use there's a thing called aqueous cream. Hmm. which is a soap, basically. And many, many years ago, my mum had terrible sort of, um, what do they call it? It's like a, like a red, like almost like a red inflammation over her nose and upper cheek. Hmm. And the doctor said, oh, well, it's just one of those things you've got to put up with it, blah, blah, blah. And, and dad wouldn't have any, anything, he wouldn't believe that. So he took mum to a dermatologist and she changed her soap to aqueous cream and it went. So ever since then, throughout my t- uh, 20s and 30s and years beyond, I've used aqueous cream to wash. So I, rec- I would recommend that because I think soap dries your skin. And aqueous it's cream that kind it. of like non-soap soap, isn't it? It is. It's like a non-soap soap. You're not meant to rub it in. You're just meant to put it on and then wash it off immediately. Top tip for everyone then. Uh, top tip, aqueous cream. And it's, <laughs> and it lasts. aqueous cream. We're going to get to the <laughs> <Yeah>. roof. <laughs> and, it la- and it lasts forever. And you get, it from, you get it in a big tub from your chemist. Just ask, just ask for it. Or you can order it on Amazon. If your chemist insists on you dressing like some kind of dystopian horror story with a mask and a visor, get it on Amazon. (laughs) Awesome. So let's (laughs) dive straight into the nostalgia zone. Okay. Um, Could you ever have imagined while you were getting rejected by every record label at the start that Mm -hmm. I'm Too Sexy was going to be as massive as it became? No, no, we didn't have a clue. Not, not the faintest idea. The first time it really began to strike me, it was our first promo trip. We flew to Brussels, and as I was on the plane, I remember thinking, it suddenly dawned on me that you could have a hit in, in a country other than your own. And I'd never thought about that before. It had, I know it sounds really stupid, but I had never considered the fact that you could have a hit abroad. 
And then when it was number one in America, that's when it really began to, uh, when it really dawned on me. But strangely, I think with these things, um, you only really clock it when it's all over. Because you're so busy in it at the time, you don't really understand what's going on. At least I didn't. I didn't really understand what was going on. And it's only when I look back now um, that I, re- I think, my God, you know, that was, that was actually quite extraordinary. Mm. Yeah. The song was really a different sound to the sort of music that was around at the time, wasn't it? I- yes, it was. It, it was. Well, partly what happened was we had the story with that song was that we had the bass line. For another song. The bass line for the other song was da 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 It was a really hot day. I took the shirt off, started singing, I'm just sitting on my shirt. And um, that was it. And I didn't know that I could sing that low until we had done I'm Too Sexy. I wanted to be Steve Tyler, really. <laughs> that's who I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to be a real rock screamer. And, um, and, I, and that's not the voice I was born with. I was born with a bass baritone voice. And uh, mm. it wasn't until we did Sexy that I sort of realised that I could sing that, I could do that bottom E. And we've just done a song which was number one on the uh, DJs United chant, um, radio station, mm. which is a song called Tide. And on that song, I could hit a bottom D. So that's a, that's a tone below bottom E. And it's really, it's, it's really low. So I'm learning that that's actually quite a good thing. It's actually quite a good thing to be able to sing that low. I quite like it now. I didn't like it to start with, but I like it now. You're getting a bit Barry White. Yeah, I like, you know, I, I love Barry White. I really, the, th- the great thing about Barry White is if you took his vocal off, it's just a really boring disco track. It's just a really, you know what I mean? If you take his voice off, there's nothing there. But what what stamped it was his incredible sound and, and, the, and, the, and the songs he wrote. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Barry White. I think he's great. Yeah. Sorry, I hear a little bit of guitar music going on in the background. That's yes, that's my that's my brother in the basement. <laughs> um, because we're in we're in the studio in about a week's time and we've got a couple of songs that we're we're writing about the current situation in the UK, which is dire. And um and he's practicing those lines. That's what it is. We'll have a little musical accompaniment while we chat. We will, yes, um, we will. So obviously the song became such an iconic hit. And yeah. it topped the charts in 32 countries, including America. Yeah. But but it only reached number two here because it that did. was the summer that Brian Adams was number one forever. It was forever. Um, yeah. That that must have been gutting for you. Well, it wasn't. No, people. Everybody says that, but you've got to understand where we came from. We came from absolutely nowhere. So you know, a top ten would have been great. Mm. You know, the the idea that number two was disappointing is so bizarre to me that I can't get my head around it. Um, I would have hated it to go number one because there's only one way to go after number one, and that's down. Mm. So, you know, so number two leaves you with something still to achieve, which we eventually did with Deeply Divi. But uh, no, I mean, we were, we've been on the circuit for 10 years at least, I would think, probably more, playing all sorts of pubs and clubs, thinking that it was never going to happen. So getting to number two was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Yeah. And let's yeah. talk about the image which you first mm. thrust upon us. <laughs> In the video, but I'm too sexy. Yeah. A lot of PVC, fishnet vests, yes. a good dollop of baby oil, I think, was yes, in there as yes. well. How much yeah. did you say over your look? Well, we, uh, the thing is, when, when people look at that period of us, it looks like it was really well organized. Actually, it wasn't. It was incredibly chaotic. Our record company had never been a record company before. Mm. Our manager had never been a manager before. We had never been a band in as much as we were working with Rob and we'd all come from different different outfits. So everything about it was chaotic. And in, in the first video, we didn't have any of uh, any stage clothes at all. So all the clothes in the first video are our own clothes that we raided the wardrobe for. 
So you had fishnet vests and and all the like the was it like leather chaps or PVC chaps? Uh, or we all had, we had yeah, yeah, we had we had because we used to Fred and I used to go to the pervy skin two parties in London. <laughs> So we had to have that stuff to get in. Um, so but the, but the first time we had proper styling was when we did our first top of pops with the black and white the PVC and, and the big Triumph belts and all that kind of stuff. Mm. That was the very, very first time. Um, and Peter Hawker was our stylist. And um, my feeling was in, at the beginning, the clothes became more important than us. That was my, ultimately, that became my problem. Mm. Um, and then we signed to a German label who tried to turn us into a kind of songwriting duo and address us in denims and all that kind of stuff, and that didn't work either. Mm. Um, when we went out live a couple of years ago, um, in the days before this nonsense, um, I wore a skirt, and I quite like dressing up for mm. gigs. I, I can't imagine going on in a jumper and a pair of jeans. You know, I just can't get my head around that. So I like dressing up, but, the, but it's important to never let the clothes take over, and I think the clothes did take over for a while. Mm. Do you think that the image hindered you being taken seriously in the industry yes i think so and, and also the track you know i mean i i've, I've said i've said this before but uh, dustin hoffman when he got when he did tootsie people were saying you know it was such a great performance and he said nobody will ever get an oscar for a comic role and i think that's true of music i think mm. you you know you get you will get lots of plaudits for something that's really depressing and reflective but you won't necessarily get any plaudits for something that cheers people up yeah i don't know why that is Mm. It's a it's a kind of snobbery thing. I don't I don't know I don't know quite why that is, but you know we don't take it we don't take notice. Is it true that you were told to work out less because you were too muscly for a mainstream audience? No, we were told to shave our chests when we before we did children's TV. Oh, um, because they the, the, <laughs> the belief <laughs> you would scare the children. <laughs> yes, the belief was a hairy chest would scare the children. And um, there are there, there are um, precursors in the pop industry for that, um, and I shan't say who. But um, yeah, so we uh, we were told to shave our chest. It was all a bit weird. I had a, at the time I had a boyfriend who sadly passed away now, um, and that was also a major issue of contention with the label. I, the, when we did awards, we had to arrive in separate cars because nobody should have you know we tried to hide the relationship and all that. And it's part, partly my fault. I just should have. I should have told them to sod off, basically. Mm. I, mean, I should have been. I should have been more honest, and I just got wrapped up in the whole celebrity, you know, pretend to be something you're not thing. You've, you've got a song called "I'm a Celebrity," and there's that. There's a line in yes. it that says, "I'm I'm like sexually ambiguous," and I yes. that I I can't remember what the line is. It's like um, she's in my limo, yeah. but he's no, in my he pillow. Shares, uh, yeah. He shares my pillow. Yeah, and that that is a true story for a lot, not just me, but lots of people in the industry. There's a whole load of people who pretend one thing and are another. Mm. Um, and there's one thing I think people don't like. They, we get it from politicians all the time, and we get it from some pop stars and celebrities, which is bullshit. And I think what people hate more than anything is lies. I think mm. you have to try. You know, if you, I mean, I go to I go to sex clubs. And I've done. I've had a boyfriend. I've had girlfriends. And I don't hide anything. Partly because I'm a useless liar. <laughs> I, you know, I would be found out in a heartbeat. So I have to be honest. I absolutely have to be just to look to, pre to protect myself, you know. So, um, but we do. We yeah. We, we in the initial stage we got wrapped up in that whole celebrity thing. Uh, I've seen some footage of me on the, "Don't Forget Your Toothbrush" singing a song with a really sharp suit on, and it's not me, you know. I mean, I, I wear t-shirts and, and jogging pants, and you know, that smooth kind of pop star thing is not. It's just not me. It's just not. And no, it's not my brother either. But you did. You did lie about your age, didn't you, originally? At the I start. did. Yeah. But why? 
why? You know, yeah, well, partly because I I assumed that the pop industry had this. It, it was a, almost like a kind of carryover from the from the fifties. And I remember Johnny Rotten saying, "Once you're over twenty five, you might as well forget it." Um, and now he's about sixty eight. <laughs> so you know, so I, I, at the time I thought the the age was a big issue. And, and now I've got older, I, just, I, I I kind of think, well, actually, it's not. It's not some of the, you know, Bob Dylan had a number one album recently. So I just think it's all hogwash. I think it's all hogwash. Mm. If, you, if, you, if you're producing good stuff at the age of 90, then people should be able to listen to it. And it's got nothing to do, you know, Willie Nelson, I don't know how old he is, but I think he's over 80. Mm. And he's still performing and doing his stuff. Good for him. You know, Mick Jagger's 70-something, one, two. You know, we don't make those things anymore. It's, it's, the industry has moved on a bit, so I don't feel quite so cornered by it as I used to. Mm. Mm. At the height of it all, did you ever take a moment to step back and think, wow, this is this is happening? Or did you think, mm. did it all happen too fast to take it all in? Well, my situation really was complicated because my partner at the time, Stuart, was very ill. He was HIV positive and his illness and his uh, condition went up and down, up and down, mm. up and down. So some days he was fine, some days he was real. So Stuart and I have been together for about 10 years. So when the band broke, he was stuck at home with his HIV status and I was gallivanting all, all over the world being sexy. So I was always psychologically pulled back to the UK and him. Mm. So I never really immersed myself completely in it. And I remember when I went to America for the very first time, I was talking to our tour manager there and I said, he's, you know, I said, how long do you think we'll be here? And he said, well, you'll be here as long as it takes. So I said, well, I only really want, I don't want to be away from home more than a couple of weeks, really. Mm. And that's, that, that, that was my thinking. I never really left home. Um, so at, while it was all happening, I was, in a, I was still at home in a funny kind of way mm. because I wanted, to be, I wanted to be with Stuart because he was sick and, uh, and, and sad. So that was, so I never really let myself go as much as I probably would have done. Actually, having said that, if 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 it hadn't been for Stuart, my my need to be at home, um, I might have gone off the rails, you know, with drugs and partners, and and um, and I might have bought into that whole celebrity nonsense, and lived in LA and, and killed myself at the age of you know forty. Wow, you, yeah. you didn't enjoy the fame aspect of the music career, did you? Not as much as no. There's a film. There's a very famous film, Sex Lives and Videotape, and um, in, in that film, the guy, some one character says. Being famous is always better when you look at it than when you're in it. And that's true. When you do the red carpet, it looks great when you're when people are walking down the red carpet and waving, you just think, well, oh, I wish I was there. Then when you actually do it, it's kind of, all oh, right, okay. Is that all there is? Mm. It's yeah, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like your first sexual experience, really. You know, do you know what I mean? Lots of expectation, and then you think, oh, is that all there is? You know. <laughs> I'm sorry that was it's your first a- experience. <laughs> Well, it wasn't with you. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, it must have been great to be able to share your success with your brother, though, and, and have those memories together. Yes, it was. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm more aware of that now than I was at the time. Um, at the time, we were both very, we were more different then than we are now. We're much more similar now than, than we were at the time. The time code was much more outgoing and more sort of a, more of a party animal, I guess, than I was. Um, so we were, we, we were close, but we weren't as close as we are now, I don't think. But it was nice to share it. Yes, you're absolutely right. And it was, uh, I wouldn't change those moments um, for anything. We had some really, really good memories. And I remember once we did a, 
we did a show in, um, oh, I can't remember what town it was, but it was with James Brown. And he was, he was on up just after us. And Rob, our guitarist, forgot to, forgot his guitar. He forgot to pick up his guitar from the hotel. So we, How do you forget that we were, as a guitarist? Uh, exactly. <laughs> well, ask Rob. Uh, and we were backstage. There were loads of mannequins, you know, models in these sort of, you know, plastic things that hang clothes on the shop windows. So Rob went on with um, a, a mannequin's leg and pretended to <laughs> <laughs> and pretended to play this leg, which was quite funny. Did anybody but, notice um, this? <laughs> I think. Well, hopefully they did. Yeah, hopefully. But that was uh, that was kind of yeah. So there are moments like that that I look back on and uh, and and it, yeah, it was. I wouldn't change it. It's, it's, we were very very lucky. Mm. Very lucky. I mean, you mentioned yeah, your absolutely. your manager hadn't been a manager before. Was she? She was like no. seventeen or eighteen years old, wasn't she? Oh, she yes, she was. She was businesswoman of the year for the mail uh, at one time, at one at one point. Tamsin was a. She was the girlfriend of our lead guitarist. And she was the one, she said, if I can get your track on Radio 1 or get it played on the radio, I'll manage it. So we said, oh, okay, that's assuming that she never would. And, of course, she did. And so she managed us for about two years, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, wow, I mean, that's like quite a break for to be as a teenager it to, was. to manage. Yeah, it the, was. You know, a group who just suddenly explode with a debut single. Yeah, I think she found it very stressful. I got. I think she. I think she <laughs> found surprised. it. Yeah, I think she <laughs> found it. Find weird. That <laughs> and she got. She got out wisely. She got out of the business many years ago, and uh, I'm sure. I hope and sure. I'm sure she's happy. But uh, yes, I think she found it quite quite tiring, quite stressful. Um, and we were very difficult. Not very difficult. We were pretty difficult. I think back in the day, we were tired. We were stressed out. Um, we were. We didn't realise it, but we were just a money making machine for the people around us. There was nobody that we were working with apart from Rob in the band and maybe one or two others who actually understood what we were trying to do. Every, to everybody else, we were just a cash cow. That, and that, but we didn't see it until years later. Hmm. Yeah, and that's it's always the way when you have a hit record. Every, you know, it's uh, every hit record is is a product of the village, and every failed record is an orphan. And that's, that's the way it is. And of course, Madonna famously said she wanted to have sex with you, and that well, and she, called you yeah. the uh, the most beddable man in pop. But I was wondering how <laughs> how did Fred feel about this, and was there any sibling rivalry between you? No, there wasn't. No, I actually paid money towards uh, Madonna's glaucoma operation because that's that's the only explanation for her saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just uh, no. There was no. There was no. I was a bit of a snob back then. I'll be honest. I was a bit of a snob. I I, I, I liked the fact she said it. it was very sweet. And then a few years later, I got Rear of the Year award with a big silver plate thing, which I sent back because I got. I was so up myself, really. I just, you know what I mean. I thought I'm a serious artist. You know, how dare you talk about my bottom? And it was uh, just. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, you know, and I've loosened up a lot since. I'm just, I just don't, you know, it's, it's, we're not curing cancer here. We're, we're trying to entertain people, make people smile and, and reflect or whatever. So it's, it's important not to take yourself too seriously. But I wasn't in that frame of mind at the beginning. I was, I had, I had a bit of a, an arty farty head on my shoulders, I think. So are you the sort of person who... If you were going to be knighted by the Queen, you'd send it back and say, no, 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 I don't need this. Well, funnily enough, I've thought about this because I had a friend phone me up the other week saying that he could arrange it. I don't know what that meant. (laughs) (laughs) Put some gun to the Queen's head and say, you will give this. (laughs) Exactly. But I've thought what, you know, if it was like an OBE, would I accept it? And the reason I probably wouldn't 
is for no other reason other than the fact that my father was on a minesweeper in the Second World War in the North Atlantic. Mm. And he joined the Navy when he was six and a half. I think he lied to get in. And when he died a few years ago, there were, he had no letters after his name, before or after. And that was somebody, and I, I don't want to sound too po-faced here, but that was somebody who put their lives on the line, their life on the line, for this country. And he ended up with nothing. Mm. So giving an OBE to some pop singer or, or, or whatever, or knighthood, is just ludicrous. There are lots and lots of much more worthy people out there than entertainers. Mm. We get loads of validation as it is. We don't need any more. So I think, you know, the Sir Elton John and the Sir Mick Jagger, I just think it's laughable, mm. personally. Uh, there's a, a lady that I know, there's two ladies I know, but they both live and work in, a, in a, um, assisted housing around the corner. There's one old lady called Grace, and I meet up with her once a week and we go out for dinner, or lunch rather, than a glass of wine. And there's another lady called Karen who works there, lives and works there. And she does loads and loads of entertaining, arranges all the entertainment for the old, for the old folk in the home and everything. Mm. And no, with no thanks from anybody, apart from her own sense of doing a good thing. Mm. And I, when, so when I see the honours list full of people, you know, who have clawed their way up the greasy pole, uh, and like, you know, I, I just, I, you despair, you know, you, you, I completely despair. There are loads, so many really good people working in charities and voluntary groups and stuff in this country who don't get their fair shout. It makes mm. me, it makes me angry. Yeah. So we are going to now move out of the nostalgia zone and into what I like to call the latid zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. You've been making music ever since you first burst onto the scene and I think think nine albums you've released now. Um, But you've never wanted to play by the industry's rules and you've always made a point of staying independent and Mm. avoiding major labels. And I heard Fred say once that you consider a hit record to be one that doesn't necessarily have to top the charts, but it just has to be one that that pays for itself. And I was wondering where you got that mindset from. Well, partly through the internet, I guess, um, because everything today is about content and, and about put, you know making sure that you've that you're that people know that you're still producing stuff and you're still alive and doing things. Um, the reason we the, um, one of the things about the major label thing, which I, I should say, is that we ha- we are not against working with a major label. That's not what our thing is. If we found somebody in a major label who really understood and dug what we did for the sake of the music, mm. fine. But we're not gonna we're not gonna get involved with a major label purely because they can get the back catalogue and make a few quid. That's not the point of it. Mm. The point of it is to get the music out. And at the moment, we've we we went number one on a on a on a radio on a chart recently with a with a song called Tide. And that is not the kind of record that we would have released if we were signed to a major. They wouldn't have let us have do it because it's very different from anything we've done before. But interestingly, the public are much more open-minded than 90% of the people in the business. So that's why we tend to keep ourselves to ourselves because we rely on the people who listen to our stuff. You know, we, we don't, we're not being guided by anything other than that and our own sense of what we like and what we don't like. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't spurn the idea of, a, of, of working with a major label and a, and a massive advance and a blah, blah, blah and all that stuff. But it has to be, it has to come from an area where we are convinced that they, they, they're doing it because they actually like the stuff, mm. not because they can get their hands on the back catalogue and they can, you know, squeeze until the last pip and then they can, you know, put us out to, to grass, you know. Yeah. That's, that's not how it works for us. Much of your 
latest success has been in in Europe and, and Germany, um, especially, and also the US yeah. dance charts. Do you yeah. think if you'd played more by the rules here, it would have been a different story? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we would have definitely got. I mean, you know, the, the Brits and all that stuff. That's all. It's all a, a huge handshaking thing between the majors. Mm. If you're signed to a, if you're signed to a, an independent, it's very difficult to um, for that independent to raise its head above the above the parapet when everybody else is doing it. I think if we played played the game more over here, particularly the celebrity route, the waving and the, all that stuff, you know, mm. I think we, it would have made a difference absolutely. But to be honest with you, I don't. You know, we we went to I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here once. We flew out to Australia and then they flew us back when they realised how horrible we were. <laughs> 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 so I do. And also life is very short. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's not, when I'm on my deathbed, I won't be thinking, oh, I wish I'd signed that major deal. I won't ever be thinking that. I'll be thinking, will I be, am I proud of most of the stuff we've done? That's what I hope to be able to, to say to myself, mm. you know. So they, they actually um, flew you out to Australia? And put oh, you yeah. up in that really expensive hotel. The Saatchi and Saatchi Hotel, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then how long were you there for before? Well, we were, we were there for about, in the Saatchi and Saatchi Hotel, we were there for about a week. Then they flew us to this other hotel in the middle of nowhere, which was quite close to the camp itself, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they flew us back. Uh, they paid us the money, in all fairness. They paid us the money. But one of the things we were told, and I don't think, I don't know whether this is true, but it was the year that Christopher Biggins won. Mm. And... Somebody said the reason we were flown back was because they didn't want two puffs in the jungle. Oh. <laughs> so I, I don't know. What yes, that, that was whether, whether, whether that was true or not, I couldn't say. But um, we, we're just not very good at that. Fred and I are very, very mouthy. And if we think, I mean, we, as a quick example, we did a Holmes thing, you know, celebrity Holmes thing with um, Gabby Roslin mm. and a few years ago now. And uh, it's one of those things where you have to repeatedly walk into a house and look amazed. You know, have to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, so we walked in, looked amazed. Can you do that again? Walked in. So, so we hid around the corner, waiting for the for the next sort of uh, sort of action. And um, Fred and I were saying, "What a load of bollocks! This is <laughs> such a load of bollocks!" And then we heard in our earpiece, "You might want to turn the microphone off." You all <laughs> we had these bloody. <laughs> so that's what we're you know I, you know. TV is very, 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 very conservative. But surely and that the, makes great TV, though, to be well, I think, I that, think that it, creates I, ratings, I, right? I think it does. I think it does. I think, you know, that's why live TV is almost always much more uh, exciting for the participants and, and the audience. Um, it's a little bit like when you're recording stuff, when you're recording a vocal, you have the option, if you want to, in, within the studio, of cutting out the breaths between the scenes. Mm. So if you hear the singer gasping in another t- intake of breath, you have and you can hear it on the mic. You have that option of taking it out. I don't like taking it out. I think it's nice when you can actually hear the singer breathing. Whereas a lot of singing these days, it's it's cut, 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 word, 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 word. You don't get the feeling that there's a person behind it. Mm. Um, so I, 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 you know, the more natural it is, the better. And I think the more that's why people like Kenny Everett was so fresh, you know, because they they just they, they poke the bear. You know, mm. and nobody's poking the bear these days. Nobody. I used to love Dom Jolly. I used to love stand-up is the best place. If you want to see people poking the bear, American stand-up, that's where it is. There's one or two, Jimmy Carr I like because he really pushes it, pushes it. Um, and I like uh, I like Simon Evans. And there's quite, quite there are a few stand-up British comedians, but if you want sort of 
angst and you want a little bit of, uh, what's the word, vulgar, real blue stuff. There's an American comedian called Patrice O'Neill who's sadly died now, but he was just, I thought he was great. And he could be vulgar and rude and you still loved him. Mm. Because it, because of the way he did it, so uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it, you know it, it would make great TV if people were just a little bit more relaxed. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned Stuart a little earlier, and yeah, um, I imagine your most successful years were probably perhaps the most bittersweet for you because yeah, because Stuart did become unwell, and you later made the decision to effectively become his full-time carer for many years. Yes, yeah, yeah. What was that like for you? Well, it was, it was, um, the weird thing about that, well, there was two of us, it was me and a lady called Doreen, we were both the main carers, and he had the local, at the time when this country had money, the local council supplied a carer to come in in the morning and help Stuart dress. Mm-hmm. Um, but the weird thing was that we began as a couple, and then I ended up, and, and I was a partner, and then I ended up as a carer. And that's not a good. That's not a good place to be. Partly because it changes the way you feel about the other person, and partly also because the other person feels differently about you. Mm. So it was actually it was actually quite difficult. I must admit, and it, bittersweet is exactly right. That's exactly how it was. Um, and sadly, we had newspapers, the Mirror, um, the Star, the Sun were fine. Actually, I've got to say, the Sun were absolutely fine. But the Mirror and the Star they took a very negative attitude to Stuart's illness mm. um, and my relationship to him. And that made it very difficult um, for us at the time. I mean, that is an example as to how paranoid people were back then. And it's a paranoia that's re- that is replicated today with the obsessive mask wearing. Fred and I were coming to Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. It's got a park, uh, a car park underneath. Mm. And the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital is well known as a, an H- it's got an HIV unit and everything there, you know. Um, but we were going to the cinema, which is just down the road. And, and so Fred and I thought, oh, we'll park the car underneath the hospital. And as we came out, we were photographed. And then the headline the next day was, I actually said, Fred, an AIDS scare. Gosh. That's just because we were coming out of the hospital. We, do, we just used the car park. Mm. So that's what, that's what it was like. It was pretty, it was pretty rough. And, of course, I, I, I felt badly for Stuart because he didn't have a voice. Nobody wanted to talk to him. Mm. Um, and, but they, they, they were quite happy to level accusations at him and take pictures of him, but they weren't really interested in what he was saying. And it's very distressing when you see somebody that you love become so ill. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, and it's taken me, I still talk to him every day, and it's 10 years ago that he mm. died. Because you then also suffered a, a stroke and then developed cancer. Yeah, exactly. As it kind of progressed, um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of carers will say that, you know, you try to put on a, a brave face and, and be the strong one. And, and although obviously yeah. it's terrible for the person who's sick, it, it must have taken its toll on you as well. Yes, I think it does. I think, but, but you don't really know it at the time. Um, I remember walking through Chelsea Westminster Hospital, Stuart having some bloods taken, and I was just walking down the corridor, and his consultant was walking towards me, and uh, and he said, "Are you all right?" So I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine." And he said, "No, you're not. No, no, you're not. You better, you better come with me. You better come with me." And he grabbed me by the arm and took me into this little room in the hospital, and I sat down and I burst into tears. I didn't realise I was that close to it, and he. What, I remember. It, exactly what he said he said you're not scaffolding you don't have to hold everything up i remember that and that's true and you know carers have a tremendous weight particularly if they're caring for somebody they love if you're caring as a as a, not as a career but as a job where you, you don't have an, an, an intimate emotional relationship with many of the people you look after mm-hmm. that's one thing um but if you're caring for somebody that you love it's extremely stressful yeah mm-hmm. 
for all sorts of reasons. And I used to, <laughs> I used to buy flowers all the time because Stuart loved flowers. And the stupid stuff you get in your head, used to, I used to think, well, if I just buy one more bunch of flowers, everything will be fine. And you just, you, you get into this weird sort of, that you can help and you actually, you can't. Mm. It's, it's, not, it's not, not in your gift. You just have to be there. That's all you can do, you know. And how did losing Stuart affect you? Because I know loss tends to make you kind of put things into perspective in terms of yeah. priorities and stuff. Um, well, I've never, there's a thing that, I don't know, what, I think the Queen must have nicked it because it's a really good quote. But she, I think she said it at Lady Di's uh, funeral, I think. But she said, um, grief is the price we pay for love. Mm. And, I, and that really rang true. And I, I have never felt so grief-stricken as when Stuart... When Mum died and Dad died, I was incredibly sad, but it, was, it made sense. Dad was in his, you know, edging towards 70, Mum was 90. Mm. There was a logic to that. Stuart died at the age of 45, and he had been dying for 20 years, mm. probably, on and off. Um, so it, it did, yeah, it did um, have a tremendous... I had counselling, which didn't really help. Um, and at the beginning, I used to think, oh, I'll, you know, I'll shake this. This will, this will, you know, I'll get, I'll move on, and all this nonsense you tell yourself. And I haven't, and I probably never will. That's just the way it is. You know, I was, I was hoping I would, but um, I've discovered that uh, prostitutes is no is no <laughs> substitute for a loving partner. <laughs> so uh, you know, you just have to. I've often said, you know, if anybody. Because I, I don't go so much now, but I used to go to sort of sex club and stuff. And um, and if anybody ever accosts me on that, I shall say that it was under doctor's orders because it was one way of preventing tennis elbow. <laughs> that's my <laughs> that's my theory. <laughs> so uh, you know, but yes, it did. It left a big hole, and I, I, I mean, my, my room is full of bits of Stuart's paintings, and yeah, and this house that I live in is flat, which is beautiful. If Stuart lived here, it would be immaculate. Mm. It just would. But it looks like I'm a student. I've got books all over the floor. I've got books all over the floor. And, do you know what I mean? So, uh, but if Stuart was here, it would, it would look amazing. And the house we lived in in, in uh, Fulham looked amazing. And he did all the work. He was a real home builder. And mm. I'm not. And I'm just not. Uh, did it kind of make you reevaluate your perspective on your music career of what was um, important? No. It made me... Um, it didn't change my attitude to music at all. It changed my attitude to myself in as much as um, I'm, I'm much more aggressive now about who I am and I don't make excuses for who I am. Mm. Um, when, I was, when, when the band first broke and in the initial stages, I, I always wanted to, you know, do the perfect interview and do the perfect performance. And, da, 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 da. and I just think, actually, you know, they, you know if, I, if I forget lyrics in a song, what are they going to do, shoot me? <laughs> you know, you have to, you know, yeah. this is, this is, this is show business, you know. And uh, so I'm a little bit more fatalistic than I used to be, I guess. Um, and I'm not as afraid of dying as I used to be. Mm. Because the only option I've got of ever meeting mum, dad and Stuart again is when I'm gone. I don't know what's beyond, I don't know what's beyond there. I don't necessarily agree with Christopher Hitchens, who was completely convinced there's nothing. Mm. I don't know. Um, but the only hope I have got of ever meeting those three again is, uh, is, is actually dying. So I'm not that frightened of it. I'm frightened of the process, like most people say. You know, I wouldn't want to be a, you know, I wouldn't want a long, I like to die in my sleep like mum did. It would yeah. be, be per perfect, you know. Um, but uh, so I'm not, yeah, I'm not so scared of dying as I used to be. Um, and in the early days, I should have got used to it in the early days of the band, really, because we died every night. <laughs> 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 
what can I do? What can I tell you? <laughs> um, I know you support the Royal Marsden Hospital because that's where Stuart was treated. And, and there are yes. lots of charities you support which have personal links to you, like Alzheimer's UK, because your mum Mum, yeah, and yeah, that's true. You you sadly lost her a few years ago, as well. About three years ago, yeah. Um, what was that like in terms of? I mean, Alzheimer's is such a horrible, horrible illness, it which is, I yeah. think you know it affects everybody around the person who has it. Yeah, you know, equally if if not more, it's, it's I guess it's the pain that the people, your family around you, kind of you slowly see the person that you once knew and loved are not that same person anymore. Exactly. The weird thing about Alzheimer's is, as you say, the person who is most affected by it is the least aware of it. Mm. That's, and, and so it's the, it's the people around who are the most affected. And with mum, it was, we were, we were lucky in as much as mum was, mum um, had it, it sort of it kept, it crept up. I mean, she had it probably for overall for four or five years, but it only really, made itself known in a, in a in a profound way in the last year and a half mm. um and funnily enough when she when i got the when the care home phoned and they said your mum has passed away part of me was relieved mm. because she hated it she hated she hated being in the place she hated she i know that i think by the time that she died she'd probably forgotten this but i know that when she went into the home she was incredibly resentful of me and Fred because she thought she was just going to go home. But we couldn't take her home because she lived in a ground floor flat. She might leave the, the stove on and, you know, yeah. burn the bloody place down. So, um, it, yes, it, it, was, it wasn't as traumatic as I, as I thought it would be purely because when mum died, it, it was relief for her. Mm. I wouldn't want to have wanted her to have gone on year after year in the way that she was. That she always knew who Fred and I were. She, you know, she was she was still mum, although it was more difficult to see it. Mm. Um, but it is, yes, it's a terrible, it's a, it's a really debilitating um, condition. Um, but what they, they seem to have um, making some good progress on Alzheimer's. So we have to hope within the next five to ten years there's some there's some really good news on it. Yeah. But it's it's extremely debilitating, as I say, as much for the families and the loved ones as the person involved. Mm. And I love that you've also done a lot of work in children's cancer wards because because of your shaved heads. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we did we did quite a bit of that. Yeah, we did. Um, yes, it was. The, <sighs> cancer is just one of those things. Stuart died of cancer, and it's one of those things that is just it. As part as, as much as anything, it's just the word. It's just the word. And weirdly, in a children's ward, there was much more cheer than there was in, in an adult ward, in an adult cancer ward. And I think partly because children are so, they're either, I don't know what it is, maybe they're ignorant of the reality that's, that they're going through. Maybe they have uh, an unfounded belief in their recovery. Um, I don't know what it is, but the children's wards weren't depressing places and the children weren't depressing. They were very, very cheery and, and had a very positive outlook. Um, with adults, it's a very different thing because they're much more aware of, of what's going on and chemo mm. can make you feel really bad. Mm. So um, it's a very different thing. But we did, yeah, we did do quite a lot of that uh, stuff in, in the early days. Um, and, of course, the doctors and the nurses that do, Ooh, that, do that, that work. What's that noise? Well, that's, my, that's my grandfather clock. Oh, right. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's 10 minutes fast. <laughs> <laughs> Is that so you're always on time? I've, no, yes. 
I've always wanted a grandfather clock. I've always wanted one. And I found this one and it was going cheap, so I bought it. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't bong. I was hoping it would bong. It doesn't bong. It goes ting, 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 which is a bit disappointing. Does it have a cuckoo that comes out of it as well? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't have the cuckoo. No. But the most amazing thing is it was built, it was made in 1764. Wow. So you think it's been taking the, making, taking the, you know, showing the time all that time. Isn't that amazing? But it's 10 minutes fast. But it's 10 minutes fast. Well, I think, <laughs> I think you're, you're allowed to be 10 minutes fast when you're 300 years old. <laughs> okay, let's, let's further lighten the mood somewhat okay. and um, talk about cats. Yes, um, I used to have two. I'm a, I'm a big cat lover and I noticed quite a few references in your music. Obviously, yes. there's a line, I'm too sexy for my cat, and yes. there's one in the video. Yes. Um, and you mentioned your song Tide, uh, yes. which is also on your new EP, EP that yeah. also has a line about cats being good to you. Yes. And then the video for Tide has yeah. you both straddling giant ginger cats You're absolutely with right. laser eyes. That's right. Um, absolutely right. Do you currently have a feline friend? No, I don't. I don't. The reason I, I mean, I'd love to have a dog actually, but I, the reason I don't have cats or dogs is because we travel a lot. Although, given the current state of the music business, our, my traveling days may well be over because the, the you know the, the the way that festivals are looking and and gigs it's looking pretty dire at the moment so whether we'll be traveling i don't know but but in my when i was with, living with stuart we, in the house in fulham we had two cats harvey and nicks and uh, and, and a dog called and a dog called kashka and the interesting thing the interesting thing what you're going to say harrods no no exactly <laughs> we should have shouldn't we yeah exactly yeah um but um I never got the cats were interesting. They they were in the house first before the dog, and they ruled the roofs completely. So when the oh they do they yes. completely ruled the roofs. So the dog was um, under the control of the cats completely. Um, I never got very close to the cats because I'm partly maybe because I grew up to, um, being allergic to cats. I, I get terrible. I, I in sort of red eyes mm. and that kind of stuff. So I never developed a, a warm, a sort of particularly warm relationship with them. And I used to love walking the dog. I, 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 I when Stuart was unable to walk the dog because of his stroke, I used to walk the dog. And uh, I used to really enjoy going to the mm. park with the dog and everything. It was really, it was really, really therapeutic. Yeah. Time, it's, it's like sort of just time for yourself. It's, it was good. But going back to cats, no, it's what, true what you say, though. The cats do figure quite largely in uh, in our visual history you're absolutely right and funny enough with with them i'm too sexy for my cat in vietnam i think it was vietnam i can't remember maybe it was korea i can't remember but one of these far eastern countries they said they because cats are holy they, they regard cats quite highly mm. there and so they said they wouldn't play the record unless we changed the lyric took, took the word cat out yeah what so, did you have instead we didn't do it we didn't do oh. it. Yeah, it's just another place. To have to, well, it was just another place to have to go to. So, so we, decided, <laughs> we decided against it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about that. But cats, yeah, yeah. It's, um, and I don't know why we chose I'm Too Sexy My Cat as opposed to dog. Yeah, we could have had dog, couldn't we? Yeah, but we didn't. Isn't that weird? Probably because, because you couldn't have used the word pussy in the lyrics. Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm guessing>. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know more about our stuff than I do. <laughs> While we are talking about your new EP, yeah. let's hear a little bit now from the title track, Good Times Everybody. Everybody knows that there's trouble ahead. We hope it's getting better this time. Everybody knows some things have been said We hope it's 
I thought mm-hmm. it had a great summer vibe and that it was probably inspired by lockdown as the lyrics seemed quite relevant everybody's yeah. missing the good times but but then I let me actually wrote it about Brexit. Well we wrote it about Brexit initially we wrote the first bit about Brexit um, and then the chorus was written about the present lockdown so it's a, it's, it was both. Brexit was very poisonous it was a very poisonous period in the UK um, and it got to the point where if you had a, dif- a difference of p- a differing a differing opinion to somebody it wasn't a question of two peoples in a civilised manner discussing it. You know, one person was a moron, the other person was a thicko and, and a racist bastard and, and blah, blah, blah. And it all got very unpleasant. And in a way, the lockdown thing and the mask wearing thing is the same. People don't want to know the truth about masks. And if you say to somebody, did you, you know, for instance, a mask is no good if you have a beard. It doesn't work. It doesn't matter what the mask is if you have a beard. But if you've got somebody with a beard who's wearing a mask and you say, you do realise that's not working, they will tell you, in no, it, it, they will use all sorts of Anglo-Saxon words uh, to tell you to leave them alone. Why, um, why doesn't it work if you have a beard? Because it has to be sealed. It has to be okay. completely sealed. So the blue ones, most of the masks you see don't work because the virus is so small. It's, it's, it's not like dust or bacteria or anything else. It's, it's much, much smaller than that. But sadly, the level of advice that we get from this chaotic and ridiculous government is so poor that people have to make their own, you know, their own minds up about what they do. So you'll, a friend of ours went into the GPs the other day and wasn't allowed in unless he had a mask on. So he pulled his jumper over his head and they let him in. That's the kind of logic that we're dealing with. So... Yeah, yeah, I think we're being led a merry dance, actually. It's my, my when you said he pulled his jumper over his head, I, I imagined it's like, you know, when you're, footballers take it from the bottom and then pull yeah. it over the top. <laughs> well, I wasn't... I didn't I, think it was just the neck pulling it No, 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 no. It was no. a full face fully over. Oh, sorry, I flashed you there, accidentally. <laughs> well, I think that was almost excellent. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think he pulled it right up. I don't think he pulled... I don't think he did that, you know, the, up to the nose. I think he pulled the, from the bottom. Right, right, over, right over the top of the head. I, I think he did, yeah. Oh. I think I think he did. But, um, yeah, so, the, the, so the, back to the single. Yeah, we, we, that was wrote, written about two separate um, political events. And we've got a song that we're working on now, which will be on the next EP, called We're All Criminals. And that's specifically written about our current situation. Um, and the the mission creep that governments have been on since the 60s is just uh, is something we need to pay attention to much more than we do, I think. The, you know, Parliament is, 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 is uh, there in all but name, 
and um, most of the stuff that, that, that laws that are passed are passed by decree. So um, we're living in very strange times, I think. Um, mm. So I think I, 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 can't, I just kind of think we need to be much more vigilant um, mm. of our own personal safety, our own personal privacy. Um, and uh, there's also, whether it's big tech or whether it's governments, there are all sorts of people all over the world trying to, trying to get information on you. And now they reckon data is more, is more valuable than oil. Well, troubled times, but at least we have your music to make it a little bit brighter. Uh, I, I, I like cheering people up, I must, uh, generally speaking. I mean, but you know what they say about comedians who are usually really depressing people in private? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I, you know, Fred and I, when we're talking, we get really, really angry. I, I get, when I'm walking down the street and I see these people who are not thinking people, they're walking down the street on their own, in the high street, in the fresh air, with a mask on. Well, if you know, they're doing that because there's no guidance. And um, in five years' time, I think there'll be headlines saying, um, mask lung, were you wearing masks in the year 2020, 2021? Because <laughs> if you were, see, and you're having breathing difficulties, see your doctor. <laughs> you know, I just, be cynical. Everybody should be a little bit cynical about what, they, about what they're being told. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, the music, that's why I like I'm too sexy. Every time, I've never once, I'm not lying when I say this, I've never once not wanted to sing it, not once, mm. ever, in 20 or 30 years, whatever it is. And it's because it cheers people up every time you start it. It's so ridiculous. It's mm. so painfully, obviously stupid that it's fun. And, I, you know, I, my relaxation is watching stand-up. I don't, watch, I don't listen to much music. I, I watch a lot of stand-up because I like to be cheered up. Mm. Yeah. So. Well, Richard, it's been lovely talking with you today. Nice and best too. of luck with the new EP. Thank but you. We are both now officially too sexy for this podcast. Yes, we are indeed. And it's always been the case. <laughs> <laughs> Huge thanks again to Richard for joining me. I'm sure you'll agree we had a right old romp there. You can check out Right Said Fred's new EP on Spotify and you can also find a link to it in the show notes as well as more information about beards and face masks. I should add ITV has given me a statement in response to Richard's comments about his time on I'm a Celebrity. They said, Richard didn't enter the jungle for editorial reasons and we strongly refute any claims it had anything to do with his sexuality. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Celebrity Catch-Up. Please share it with someone who you think may also enjoy it. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do please leave a rating or review as it does help other people find the show. As usual, if you'd like to say hello, you can find me on Instagram at Celebrity Catch-Up Podcast or on Twitter at Celeb Catch-Up Pod. And if you'd like to support the show, you can buy me a coffee. Find out more in the show notes. Until next time, I've been Genevieve and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.